drama in Jefferson City and Topeka during the State of the States. I'm Dave Helling of the Star's editorial board. You're on Deep Background. And thanks for joining us for this latest edition of the Star's political podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, uh, just a brief technical note. We're moving to a new platform and provider for the podcast, so if it looks a little different and sounds a little different, we're going to be on SoundCloud going forward, so that's a good deal. And and uh, all of our old podcasts are migrating over. They may be a little jumbled in order, but you can find them if you want to listen. And as always, we appreciate you uh, downloading it on your device. And tell your friends about Deep Background. We're actually, um, there's some actually some, you know, intelligent discussion here of important things. So uh, spread the word about this podcast as 2018 unfolds. Okay, enough advertising. Brian Lowry, the store's chief political reporter, joins me after... Brian, quite a week. I yeah. mean, you have to go back some time to... Uh, are we doing this chronologically? Are we doing this... No, new? I no. think we should do... Yeah, well, but, we're going to have to do it yeah. sort of newsworthiness. And so, obviously, I, you would normally have recorded this earlier in the week. I've been in Jefferson City for uh, the, the last two days, so thank you for recording this on a Friday. But uh, we've been busy. Yes. We, we were busy in Jefferson City. All right, well, let's go to the headline first, and that, of course, involving Governor Eric Greitens. In Missouri, who gave a little-noticed State of the State address on Wednesday he gave a speech? <laughs> uh, because he was embroiled in a rather uh, in- incredible story, and it, right. uh, a story that has taken on a national right. dimension, in part because of who Eric Greitens is, and in part because of the details of the story. Why don't you give us a synopsis? Right. I mean, so you, you, you bring up the scale. Eric Greitens was somebody who, until, uh, you know... 48 hours ago was really seen as someone who was a rising star in the Republican Party nationally was people were already having the conversations about him as a future presidential candidate uh, he's been hit by scandal uh, he has admitted to an extramarital affair but he also faces accusations uh, that he threatened to blackmail uh, his mistress that he took a nude photograph of her without her consent warned her that if she ta- said his name uh he would sh- he would share it uh and so the blackmail is really the story um and that has now led to a criminal inquiry that's being conducted in st louis uh the attorney general there was already a request from lawmakers uh, for attorney general josh Hawley uh, to investigate he says he lacks jurisdiction st louis prosecutor has taken up um that so he went from being someone who was a rising star to someone who's facing criminal inquiry, who's facing calls for resignation, and also just even from by but the calls from resignation for resignation have mainly been from Democrats, but even members of his own party are distancing themselves, have been calling for the investigation, and uh, at least one uh, Republican state senator, Gary Remind, said. Uh, yesterday that if he's not exonerated by the investigation, he needs to either resign or be impeached. Yeah. Now let's People back are up. using the I word. Yeah, now let's back up just a little bit uh, to, to fill in a few of the blanks on the story. KMOV, which is a television station in St. Louis, Missouri, originally broadcast this story, and it involves a disgruntled ex-husband right. of a woman who uh, had an affair to which Eric Greitens has admitted mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them. 
and the disgruntled ex-husband had an audio tape that he had made with his former wife in which she alleged these uh, alleged blackmail uh, uh, things. T- talk to us right. a little it's, bit about it's that. It's a little bit complicated by the fact that this this isn't a, you know, we've, we've seen the Me Too movement has rocked politics. This isn't a, an example of a woman coming forward and, and sharing her own story. This is a situation where her ex-husband uh, recorded her uh, without her knowledge and then uh, years later um release this to the media now he has said that's because he was getting so many phone calls about this from media outlets he felt the pressure just to finally put that out there but it should be noted that the woman herself has not commented to uh the media did not want this story out there and any quotations you see from her are from an audio tape that was a conversation between two spouses uh who's talking about a highly personal highly personal matter um, and now it's out. In the and, world. and we should also be clear that the ex-husband, who is the source of the tape and the story, uh, has not been secret of his criticisms of Eric Greitens in this regard for some time. Right. And that there has been discussion of this broad scandal in the background as background noise in Missouri for some time. But KMOV did for the first time. Right provide an interview with this so far anonymous ex-husband that was the source of all of this. Right, discussion. and it was widely known at the Capitol on Wednesday that that report was coming out. Uh, both the Star and the Post-Dispatch opted not to publish stories. We, we had our own, it, was a little, it didn't meet our, our standards of sourcing at KMOV, did make the decision to uh, put it out oh, in the world. The governor confirmed the affair, which m- really made it kind of fair game right, for everyone you to put talk legs about. on the story um and it, there was a actually an expectation there were even people making co- jokes on the senate floor prior earlier in that day that maybe the state of the state would be canceled lawmakers there was a high awareness that this report was going out people there was a very paranoid mood in the Capitol leading up to the state of the state it did not air on the six o'clock news before he gave the speech he gave the speech at seven o'clock, he talked about uh, wanting to cut taxes, and he had big applause from Republicans. He he told police officers he had their backs, and you know a lot of the standard Eric Greitens stuff uh, that you, that you got. People did their stories, and then the ten o'clock news. Boom. This hit, and you know I'll get to give you a little bit of the since we are on deep background <laughs> to give you a little bit of the background about the decisions we were making the star uh, jason hancock who is our uh, jefferson uh, city correspondent became aware uh, maybe about 9 30 ish maybe a little bit earlier than that uh that this report was going to be coming out uh told me to go ahead and go go get food he was gonna he was gonna write the story after he saw the kmov report um, I went with another reporter from Kansas, from uh, another Kansas City outlet, to go get to go get food at one of the only places around the Capitol that was still open at that point because we were close to ten o'clock at night. We watched it together on uh, my iPhone, and we happened to be in a place where there were a bunch of lawmakers having drinks, and their their mood was almost celebratory about it. Eric Greitens has made over his first year of governor 
a lot of enemies in the legislature. So there were many lawmakers who were happy to see him weaken. They're not happy about the allegations. I don't want to misrepresent that. But they are happy that these allegations that have been rumbling around are out now in the world. And that's why he doesn't have a lot of friends coming uh, to his defense because it comes after a year of a lot of conflict with the legislature where he's constantly blasted lawmakers as corrupt, has released lawmakers' uh, cell phones. Uh, oh, his political organization has released lawmakers' cell phones to the world. Constant battles with members of his own party. So if you look at the statements from Republicans, they're not rushing to yeah. his defense. Let's come back to the politics of it in a minute because I wanted to establish just what the story was. And then we, we do have to talk a little bit, don't we, Brian, about the legalities involved here. Because if you're right, and I think the consensus as we sit here Friday is the story isn't necessarily the adultery other than what it may mean politically for him, right. which we'll get to, but the real story is the illegality or the alleged illegality. And yet most of the day yesterday there was some struggle to say precisely what laws may be broken. Is this really blackmail? Is it really extortion? Is it invasion of privacy? Again, if the details turn out to be true. And then there was also a problem in figuring out who was going to investigate these these allegations. It was, uh, there was a letter sent to the Attorney General, and keep in mind, the Attorney General is a candidate for U.S. Senate. And a Republican. Right, and a Republican. Who is already, by the way, conducting another investigation of Eric Greitens and his use of a secret message app and his office actually put out a statement saying that uh, the governor has not been too cooperative uh, with their uh, with their office yet um, so you had the two sort of moving parts who's going to investigate and what are they going to investigate right right and so uh, the attorney general put out a statement uh, say, and, and the st. Louis prosecutor put out a statement earlier in the day saying Kimberly Gardner I think saying that no complaints had been lodged that there was not a current investigation uh, Clearing up, there had been, I guess, some speculation already out in the world that maybe there was um, something ongoing. But she said, no, we don't have an active investigation. Holly, uh, you have lawmakers asking him. His office puts out a statement saying the proper jurisdiction is with the local prosecutor in where the place where these events were alleged to take place. And then Gardner, very shortly after that, put out another statement saying, you know, after receiving a lot of, uh, you know, people calling her office about it she is going to investigate uh she said you know both the state and st louis um need to have confidence in their leaders it's going to be an investigation my understanding is focused on this allegation of blackmail uh there are some laws on the books in missouri about criminal invasion of of privacy uh that would might, might fall into something like this whether or not the alleged victim, I think, cooperates with an investigation becomes a very big part of it. If, if uh, she doesn't want to file a complaint, it may hinder whether or not charges are, are, are ever brought. Um, or whether she even cooperates with right. whatever investigation, right. which is an uh, up-in-the-air question. Right. right. And, I mean, and if we, she doesn't cooperate, it's going to be tougher right. and for we any only, We only have this one small slice of, of audio to, to really kind of... Uh, make our, our our judgments by. I'd recommend that uh, people interested in this read a, a piece that was 
written on the columnist side here in the Star by uh, Janae Osterheld uh, that I thought really did capture what is the actual issue here? It's the issue of the blackmail. And and she made a point of even uh, noting that, you know, if, if, if you take these allegations, it's this woman hasn't just been victimized by just one man. It, it would be two. It would also be uh, the ex-husband recording a private moment and then right. taking away her choice by releasing it. Right, although I did see some... St- not that's not that's that's legal in the state of Missouri because right, we right. are one party right. recording. But when you think about the kind of the dynamics in here, it's a very complicated. Right, matter. and and just to be clear, uh, the legal you know revenge porn is not necessarily uh, specifically a crime in Missouri, and so that's a little shady. And the husband, the ex-husband, uh, you know his role not just from a legal point of view, but sort of an overall point of view, deserves scrutiny. But he clearly feels he was wronged by Eric Greitens right, in a way. He certainly sees himself. So, so, so there are, you know, there are parties with various uh, stakes in what's going forward here. And, and, and we should be clear that the governor has denied all of these allegations. Denied taking the picture. He has admitted to the affair, but he has denied the blackmail allegations and, and anything else that's kind of surfaced. Since then, his attorney has has vehemently denied this and has stated that they have confidence that uh, you know this matter will be resolved. Yeah. And uh, do we have any sense as to how aggressive the St. Louis uh, attorney will be, Kimberly Gardner? I mean, it, it subpoenas, grand juries, testimony. Uh, does she expand it to other allegations? Is I don't, it just I don't this particular? Her. Yeah, I don't personally know her very well, we so don't I don't want to really say it. Yeah. Since we don't cover St. Louis, we might not have the best perspective. Uh, she is a former uh, Democratic member of uh, the Missouri House. Um, you know, she she's recent. She's she's relatively new to that office. I think maybe she's been in there a right. year or so. Um, so this is going to be probably her most high-profile case that she's investigated it is going to and keep in mind an investigation is going to take time any investigation that would have value is going to take time so one thing that does politically is it means it continues to hang yes. over Grayton's head and the head of the legislature and that's why i was heading that way because it will take time and yet all parties i assume not most parties would like to see a narrow investigation that's conducted quickly and that the findings are made public one way or another so that this doesn't hang over the legislature and the governor's office. That, however, uh, Brian, seems almost unavoidable at this point. I mean, it doesn't, it's hard to see everyone in April going, oh, remember back in January, ho, ho, ho. I mean, this is going to, this has legs, doesn't it? So on Thursday, I talked to Rob Schaff, who's a St. Joseph Republican, who has had some very public uh, disagreements <laughs> with uh, Eric Greitens. Uh, immediately after the story had broken, he had he had tweeted, "Stick a fork in him." Uh, the next day, he was a bit more measured. But what he said to me was that this really does hang over the legislature. It's going to make it really difficult to have those discussions about education and infrastructure and care for seniors and all these other big issues facing the state of Missouri. Are gonna ha- are gonna take a bit of a backseat to to this. Um, we should explain why that is, Brian. For people who don't cover legislatures and don't cover politicians very closely or don't study them, it's such a unique culture in which a story like this becomes background noise for completely unrelated discussions, and everyone acts as if it doesn't make a difference. But it does, doesn't it? If this oh, is certainly. unresolved, yeah. I mean, Senator Senator. Uh, 
uh, Nasheed, a St. Louis Democrat, uh, said on the floor of uh, the Senate. I mean, she's she's one of the many Democrats who has called on the governor right. uh, to resign. She compared the alleged behavior to imprisonment, saying that if you you know tape up a person, right. take a picture against their will, that's that's she called that imprisonment, um, and was calling on the women of. Uh, the legislature to stand up and help force the governor out of office. Uh, this is going to be something that is is just very much in the public psyche. It really uh, limits the governor's clout. I mean, he was supposed to go on a tour uh, to tout his tax cuts plan, which was the really the centerpiece of his state of the state address was that uh, Missouri was going to have the boldest. Uh, tax cuts in the nation. Now, there's another state in this region that did try that. Didn't work out so great for them. Uh, we'll get to that state later yes, in the will. broadcast. Yes, we will. Um, but, you know, does can Greitens go and do those public events? Can he try to influence lawmakers to pass his agenda? All of these things are kind of, you know, question marks when his just clout is weakened. Yeah. And... and- we this let's circle back to your earlier point it's particularly a problem it would be a problem for any governor but particularly for this one because he has so few friends even in right. his own party by design i mean he's been attacking them almost since the day he took the oath of office in both parties when uh the you know when things get tough i almost <laughs> went in the wrong direction there but when things get tough he, he doesn't really have any political right. friends, does he? I had a Republican lawmaker say to me that this doesn't change his opinion about Eric Greitens whatsoever. And that was, yeah, that was because it was thing. a negative opinion. Yeah, not not a because, good thing, and right. so, yeah, it's he's he doesn't have a lot of allies. You have a lieutenant governor, Mike Parson, who, you know, has been part of the, the culture of, you know, politics in Jefferson City a lot longer, who a lot of these lawmakers would be more comfortable uh, right. working with, um, you have the fact that Greitens is probably going to hang over the U.S. Senate race now. Uh, this become, If there becomes a perception that Josh Hawley uh, is too soft on Greitens, that could be something that Claire McCaskill uses against him. And remember, that's a very high-stakes race for right. Republicans. Uh, we heard you know, that Greitens was, had, a, had, a, had to have a phone call with donors to reassure them. This is really, I mean... It, it has spread out to the all of Missouri politics. Right. It's really unavoidable. Right. And before we wrap up this discussion, let's talk a little bit about the implications for the, uh, Greitens' national ambitions. I mean, there, he made no secret. He has made no secret, uh, at least informally, of his desire to seek higher office someday. And everyone has assumed that that would be the case. This seems to put a major, major dent in those ambitions. Oh, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I mean, one piece of evidence is that, you know, Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner had ads that featured Eric Greitens. He's pulled those. Uh, you know, the governor of Iowa distancing from Greitens. It's just he's no longer seen as this rising star. He, he was seen as somebody who was really uh, a presidential prospect. Um, and I think that had a lot less to do 
with his actual governing in the state of Missouri and much more to do with the brand right. of Eric Greitens, the Navy SEAL, the, you know, just the, the outsider, the pack, yeah, just the way he the had swamp packaged guy. himself. Yeah. very disciplined on his messaging, uh, you know, constantly on social media, uh, you know, with, you know, people would would train with the National Guard and the firefighters and ha- would do these, you know, these stunts made us, you know, yeah. watch him rock you know, climb here in Kansas City. And, and, he he was creating himself as almost like a rock star governor that, that could maybe, in a post-Trump yeah. world, be a really appealing and, candidate. And let's be clear, he also has made something of a fetish of avoiding mainstream reporters, taking his message to the people through social media, Facebook posts and, and tweets, refusing interviews, refusing requests for information. So isn't there some irony in the fact that if he is to bounce back from this, he will really need mainstream? I mean, you're not going to talk your way out of this on Facebook, I don't think. Right. I mean, I, I and I even, if he, if you get on Twitter about this, this is, that's just going to unleash the wrath of, of Twitter on you. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, uh, he, he's got to, He's got, he's got to do a couple things if he wants to 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 weather this storm. Um, and I and right now it looks like that's his plan is to weather this. There's no signs that Greitens plans to step down despite the calls from from uh, some lawmakers uh, to do that. But he's going to have to repair relationships with uh, legislators. He's going to have to reassure. Uh, Republican donors and others that you know he is still a you know viable uh, politician and well he, he will needs- have to you know make take that message uh, to the people of Missouri well, probably through traditional media right right well and he needs a clean bill of health from the investigator oh yeah a- and he needs some accomplishment in the legislature to take the noise away don't you think Brian from this scandal get a big tax cut, get a clean bill of health, then maybe by June or July it does seem to be in the rearview mirror and you can rebuild. If well, he doesn't get those things, yeah. then then this hangs over him for a year and it's a mess and it involves the Senate race. And there, There's a lot of Republican lawmakers who really do want a tax cut. It could be something that still goes through um, like the right to work that is just something right. Republicans have wanted for so long that it doesn't really matter who's in the governor's office, the legislature will pass it and right. and send it to us. But it will do it on but, its own motion. It's not right. going to be because this is what the governor wants or doesn't want. The The Senate and the House will reach its own decision. The legislature can be much more independent from him now. They don't need to bow yeah. to Eric Grant. A- as if they weren't independent <laughs> already. Okay, well, uh, that's Missouri. Let's take a deep breath. Cleansing breath. After the break, let's talk about Kansas. You're on Deep Background. Once again, with Brian Lowry, the Star's chief political reporter. Okay, Kansas. Uh, you know, normally we would be focused on where's the governor of Kansas going and what the political situation is and what about this $600 million or $500 million, depending on how you count it, for schools over five years. And Brownback did visit the White House. By and the way, and this Sam week. Brownback yeah. went to the White House. And by the way, Jeff Collier was at some schools or was going to be at some schools. So. Uh, that all got lost a little bit in the Greitens storm, but let's come back to Topeka and Kansas. The governor, 
uh, did something very interesting this week, which was alienate, it seems, the few friends he had left <laughs> yeah, in the it, state capitol. I think J.R. Clay's a Republican from Salida tweeted something about like how like you know the the like the governor blew up the like the dome yeah blew, it's something like he had burned the he driven the bus over the bridge burned the burned the bridge <laughs> blown up the I, I go back and check his Twitter feed we're all challenged for brownback rhetoric at but, this point um, right? yeah it, you know he really enraged uh, Republican lawmakers now. Some things to clarify about that. So he's calling for hundreds of millions in in new spending for schools, but that's over a five year period. He's not going to be governor for most of that time, right? If he, if things work out for him, he'll only be governor for for a month longer, and he will be confirmed right. by the U.S. Senate. Now he may be there a lot longer, but at the you know most, he will be gone by the end of a year the calendar now. year. Yeah. yeah, and so. They, I think, them they see him, you know, waving the flag of, of surrender to the court, and it is um, funny when you look back at his 2014 state of the state, which was my first year covering Sam Brownback, and so I was like, let me go back to that address. He has a line in there about how too many decisions are made by unaccountable, opaque institutions, a reference to the Kansas Supreme Court, and he lectures them on, like, how dare you try to take this issue away from the legislature. Cut to now, he is, after lawmakers had their, you know, riot in response to his budget, he put out a statement lecturing the legislature on how it's not an option, we must comply with the court, and just this is imperative that we must... It's a, it, he's completely changed yeah. his tone on schools, but, and there were some education advocates who were getting frustrated that lawmakers were being resistant to this. It needs to be stated, he's not offering an actual way to pay for it. So all of this extra school sp- spending is really imaginary. Yeah, not man. only because he won't be governor for most of that time, but because he's saying he won't have a tax increase, he didn't offer any budget cuts that would actually cover the amount of extra spending. So it really is a it's 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 almost a pretend gesture yeah, to some extent. Yeah. And that's why you had lawmakers angry. You had Jim Denning uh, from Johnson County, uh, the majority leader, just saying we know he has a low financial acumen and and, and so they they're just uh they, that's why lawmakers are upset because he's hurt them rhetorically but he's also not given them any path to do what right. he says he Although wants to do. Although let's be clear and again backing up a little bit to talk about the merits the the path was always going to be narrow. I mean oh, Sam yeah. Brownback could have come out and said we're not spending another dime for schools and it doesn't really change the reality that the court has ruled and that some people believe that the only way to satisfy the court is to spend an extra six hundred million dollars annually. I mean that's the right. sort of general number. Uh, honestly, and his so, number is probably too low right, for the right, court. Right. And and certainly too slow because um, because the court seemed to indicate and some Democrats believe and certainly the plaintiffs believe that they should get the full relief in one year, not five. And so 
the governor's rhetoric may have thrown Republicans under the bus, but they, it didn't really change the reality of the situation they face, which is they've got to figure out. And I think that's why they were so angry, frankly, right. Brian, because they're stuck. They're stuck in a very tough place. And for the governor to, in essence, sort of sacrifice them makes a tough right. job even tougher. Even even apart. So if we put the educate the education thing is what has caused all this fury. Right. Take that part out of the speech for a second. Uh, it was a kind of weird speech, yes. right? It was the accomplishments that he chose to highlight. Now, I've seen Sam Brownback deliver multiple states of the state, and he always really hammered home some big accomplishments and about how his economic vision was leading to prosperity, even if the actual data didn't always <laughs> indicate that. He would always make those claims. Some of the things he chose to highlight were just, you know, the largest milk drying facility, the the quail population being at the best it's been in in 20 years. I mean, these were just some strange little factoids that he chose to do. It was a very short speech. Yeah, shout out to Bill and, Snyder at K-State. Oh, yeah, yeah he, 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 he made, and it was a very kind of awkward joke because he made it in, in reference to the... Um, the uncertainty about his own political future and linking it. Right. it. So I think there were a lot of lawmakers who just went through one of the toughest legislative sessions we've ever had who know that there's a lot more work uh, to do this year who were just kind of like yeah. just frustrated by the the fact that, you know, the, the, the speech was rather kind of pointless. For them. Right, or that the governor is approaching a serious problem in an unserious way. He, he makes all these sort of extraneous remarks and then says, okay, let's deal with the elephant in the room, schools, and then offers a plan with no way to pay for it right. and no explanation of where the other cuts might come. Yeah. I mean, that's an unserious approach for a lot One of those One thing we guys. should say is it's not exactly clear who actually crafted this budget. <laughs> Uh, and this gets back to what the point you made about Kansas in the start. Sam Brownback's people said in January this month that this is his budget. He made the final call, and he admitted. But they had also told us more than a month ago that Jeff Collier was crafting the budget. The governor had essentially ceded his uh, budgetary authority to Jeff Collier, and Jeff Collier, who a lot of people thought was going to be governor by now, may have played a very significant role in this budget and that this, you can almost look at this as a political document. School finance is always going to be um, a tough issue um, in this race for governor. And part of what Collier was trying to do if he played a significant role in crafting this budget was really, you know, put an olive branch out to the educational community. I'm not such a bad guy. You could vote for me. Um, well, I've made an argument before in columns that if he is to be a successful candidate for governor, you could make an argument that Jeff Collier needs to find a way to the middle because he's not going to get to the right of right. Chris Kobach, no matter how hard he tries. So maybe some effort to fix this uh, perennial problem would redound to his credit if he can pull it off. It's the other big political news that happened in Kansas this week is that the campaign finance reports came out and Collier trounced Kobach <coughs> in fundraising. Kobach really didn't have, I mean, he did better than the Democrats who did pretty abysmally, right. but 
really he not only he lagged Collier, there were other Republicans he he lagged. Collier raised the most out of any candidate. There were a few others who maybe have a higher cash on hand total because they put in some of their own money. Own money. But Kobach, who had really been seen as the runaway favorite, looks more vulnerable in this race now after a week after the past two weeks where you had the White House and his presidential yeah. commission DHS say don't listen to this guy he's not part of our investigation uh, going forward uh, the Department of Justice has told people to disregard uh, many of his statements about the voter fraud uh, panel and then you have his fundraising really rather subpar uh for the competitive race that you expect him to run when you have a fundraiser with the president's son and right. and other things. And so Collier now looks like a very serious candidate. He it will be the establishment candidate, that's, pr- that's pretty clear. Uh, you need to take him very seriously as someone who can compete with Kobach. And then on the other side, Greg Orman outraised every single Democrat. So, you know, you've been one of the people who who has been, I think, I, I'll admit to being someone who was a little bit more skeptical of, of the idea that you could have an independent uh, come in and be competitive in this three-way race. Maybe, you know, maybe you, yeah. you were right. I, I think, well, <laughs> that would be a miracle. I, I think more, <laughs> but I think you've made an extraordinarily important point, which we should talk about a little bit, and that is Chris Kobach had a very bad week. I mean, if, Bad two weeks. The, the, yeah, well, the, 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 the voter commission... Uh, imbroglio uh, reinforces this idea that he can't get anything done. I mean, the, the whole point of being governor is that you can execute sort of basic functions of government and, and the demise of that commission reinforces the idea that he's all had and no cattle and then he doesn't raise any money and he was his silence was deafening on the brownback school plan. I mean, you don't, you know, he Kobach is the guy running around saying, "No, I'm going to cut your taxes again." I mean, broadly speaking, Kobach's think, problem is the state's problem, which is you've got to fix schools this year, and no one knows how to do. I it. think he did put out some statement he criticizing have, the governor's yeah. uh, budget as spending too much. Right, but right, yeah, right. I mean, it's he. I mean, look, I still he's still by far the best known candidate in the Republican field and still probably has the biggest microphone regardless of, you know, how much money he has. But uh, it's he's I don't I think this is a sign if you if you read fundraising numbers as tea leaves, which is always a little bit dangerous, but you can use them as a little bit of a measurement of support now, Kobach put out a statement last night claiming about how his numbers being lower were actually a good thing yeah. because he was getting donations. It's like of the a baseball team dollar. that loses a game but, nine to six and says, "Yeah, but we had more singles than the other team." <laughs> yeah, great, but that's not how we counted. Right, exactly. So, I, I think the governor's race really—if you look at the fundraising numbers—it's very tough to pick someone right now who I'd say is the runaway favorite. On the Democratic side, Laura Kelly was yeah. only in the race for two weeks and had a very strong two weeks of fundraising, but did she get in too late? She has the old Sibelius network behind her, and that will be able to raise some money, but now you got to play catch-up to Greg Orman. you got to play catch-up to the Republicans. and you know, Difficult, no question. This is going to be... <sighs> This is going to be one heck of a year. Yeah, but in drop Kansas that. Politics. But then, but then, Brian, drop into that the spring session on school finance. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, and the court, the, the clock ticks. 
You know, I, I wrote an editorial uh, this week about the criticism the Brownback plan has received from Sue Wagle and Ron Reichman and, and uh, Ty Masterson and J.R. Clays, I think really, you mentioned you earlier. Name any Just Republican, name, name in Republican. The they're all mad about it. Okay, what's your answer? You know, give us your answer to, to what the court has clearly said. Crickets. I mean, you know, part of the problem is political, but part of it is policy. I mean, they, you, you, you are not going to fix this problem politically until you fix it. Right. And, it, and if school districts go into a shutdown, it should be stated, that would be a month before the, the, primary. the primary. And so. Uh, but do we have any sense as to what the alternatives are? I mean, we get all the, you know, and by the way, you mentioned the governor sort of uh, not criticizing the court. He did in his speech say, let's have this constitutional this, yeah, amendment to yeah. get them out, which is apparently the the bailout position of leadership on the House and uh, Senate sides. And Ron Reichman was the Speaker of the House, was in to the editorial board last week. And it's very clear, and I think you see a little bit of this from from Sam Brownback, too, that the strategy is to divide the state and get the transportation guys mad at the edge. You know, that he kept saying, why do schools get all the money? Why doesn't it go to mental health right. or these other I, things? I have to say, though, I am very skeptical that you you, you get the, that amendment oh, passed. Oh, I am, too. And I have a lot of Now, Reichman I said, I must say, just briefly, he said he had the votes. He needs two-thirds. He needs, I think, 84 is the votes. He says he has them. Right. We'll see. And I have a lot of, res- I have a lot of respect for Ron Reichman. You know, he's been a, a source over the years. And I, you know, smart I, guy. He, he's a smart guy. That said, to me, just looking at, at that makeup of the legislature where you're not going to get Democrats vote. I just don't think you'll get any Democrats voting for that. I doubt you'll get enough moderate Republicans to join on board. I mean, you look at you look at the coalition that got that tax plan over a veto-proof majority, which is the same number of people you would need to pass a constitutional amendment in either chamber. I don't think that body passes that amendment. Even if it does, will Kansas voters, will Kansas voters, when they go to the polls, say yes? To taking away that suitable requirement, right. there's a lot of Kansans who 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 do still support that idea, and even if they don't quite understand the political dynamics of all of it, when they see that in print, should education funding be suitable, uh, they're going to still say yes. Right. Now, the and they wording, had a chance to send a message to the court when the court justices were on the ballot and declined to do so. It was close, but they didn't do so. So the support broadly among the voting public. For what the court is doing on schools, I think if you just had a show of hands, more would be in favor of what the court is doing than opposed to it. The question is, if that is off the table, if there is no, you know, the it's a triple bank shot to get the amendment, what's the answer then? You know, what does Ron Reichman do? What does Sue Wagle do? He's got to do something, right? right? And what's the answer? There's a three... There is no answer, and so you're giving... There's, there's a three-letter no, word yeah. that starts to get talked about again. Yeah, yeah, and so you you, and so the criticism of the governor on a political basis is understandable, but on the merits, if you don't have an answer independent of what he's suggested, it seems like you're in a bit of a pickle. Still, do you share that view or not? I sh- I share that view. Yeah, but I guess if I was 
if I had to trade places with one governor, this is actually a rare case where I'd say I'd probably trade places with Sam Brownback this week as opposed to Eric Wright. <laughs> well, there's, there's no question about that either. Well, we're about out of time, Brian. I appreciate it. What a week, you know, and, and I assume next week we will, you know, have a chance to see where this all falls out and, and where it's going. And there's not a lot of time. I mean, the clock is ticking. The legislative sessions in both states are truncated and you know April May is the target date for getting out of town so things are really moving in a hurry. Thanks for having me. Dave. Yeah, all right, Brian Lowry with the Star. My name is Dave Helling. You've been on Deep Background.